Welcome to BioThrive. What does it mean to thrive? I believe that in order to thrive, we need to optimize our biology, our chemistry, and the electrical frequency that courses through every cell and organ of our body. Thriving also means more than just a healthy body. It means abundant energy, deep connections, and happiness. BioThrive podcast is about all of this. You're invited to hear from leaders and innovators who share cutting-edge science tools and techniques to help you become the CEO of your own health. Don't settle for just getting by or surviving. It is your turn to thrive. Today, we are going to talk with Ryan, who is a, I don't know what to call you, yoga expert, breath expert, mindfulness expert. You're certified as a yoga instructor. You're certified Wim Hof method instructor, breathwork facilitator, meditation trainer, retreat leader, all these things. You also have a podcast called Life as an Observer. Ryan received his yoga training at the foothills of the Himalayas in India and teaches many styles of yoga and meditation and pranayama, which is breath work, and we're going to dive deep into that. He is passionate about being in nature and using holistic and psychedelic integration towards healing the mind, body, and spirit. Thank you for being here and welcome. Hey, thanks. You did really good on my intro. Thanks, Demi. <laughs> uh, a lot. You're, you're kind of like this uh, beautiful cornucopia of all things scrumptiously holistic. Oh, I like that word scrumptious. I'm going to have to use that. You know, when I introduce myself, I tend to really mix it up a lot. And I don't always use the terms that we all know, you know, yoga instructor and breath work coach and facilitator. I usually say things like, I facilitate movement and breath and holistic practices that enhance the mind-body-soul connection, or I'll, I'll mix it up too, or I'll just be like, you know, I'm an observer of the universe. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, and if you don't observe, you can't respond. You can only react. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And that's kind of what I teach uh, specifically in my podcast is really how we're, we, we are really trained in this. Uh, well, well, I'll say Westerners just in general, but we were trained to react to things. We're trained to, because our autonomic nervous system is already designed to say, hey, what's going on in the world around me? And we tend to react to it rather than saying, hey, what's actually happening um, in the world inside of me and the unconscious mind? You know, our unconscious is always trying to keep us safe, but um, our body is the one that reacts. So, Well, and bless our unconscious for doing yeah. that. Yes, you know, thank you. <laughs> Good thing, but yeah, and I think that our twenty four seven lifestyle and our our phones and our computers and and this lifestyle that we live makes us even more connected externally compared to internally. I got introduced to you because of your breath work with regard to ketamine. I became a ketamine certified physician and, and wanted to offer that to my patients just because of the unbelievable healing capacities of that. There's early research, you know, the FDA and all of the government officials haven't yet quite said that it's reliably scientific evidence based yet but there is one ketamine that has actually shown to it's like suicide prevention it is 
for treatment-resistant depression, and it's FDA-approved for that. But I want to dive into the breath before that and then the breath with that because ever since I knew that I was going to have you on as a guest on my podcast, I've been trying to be more mindful of my breathing and oh my gosh, I hold my (laughs) breath a lot. Well, it's not just about holding your breath because that's actually kind of, sometimes it's a good thing. Most of our Let's let's rewind a little bit. Our CO2 is going to stimulate the, the sympathetic reaction of the vagus nerve. CO2 tolerance is what we really need to learn. So even holding the breath is not a bad thing. It's about slowing down the breath. There's lots of books and everyone has their opinions. James Nestor wrote his book, uh, Breath. And really, that beautiful composition, the summary of it is breathe slower, but breathe um, with intention. So breath work itself stemmed for me starting with pranayama when I lived in India. And that was great and wonderful. And I had no idea that it was going to lead me to being something I would call a, a pulmonot or a breath worker, or, you know, something that that is teaching this this practice. And I think it's in just like psychedelics, breath work is having a renaissance where it's becoming kind of fun and kind of popular. And it's becoming um, a little bit more accepted, where it's like I've been breathing my whole life and why do I need to take a course about how to breathe again? But the problem is, is we have forgotten how to breathe properly. When you look at a baby, a newborn, they breathe in a way that's very belly breath. They breathe into their diaphragm. They take holds at the end of their exhale, which keeps them, for the most part, unless they're upset, in a parasympathetic state. And whereas humans, we, as adult humans, we have built these walls over our lifetimes that are preventing us from that initial primary practice of breath work and even movement. I mean, when I teach yoga, I talk about getting into what's called the malasana squat, where you really get low in that squat. And a lot of people have a hard time with that. But that is really a primary function of our human body and our incarnation. Because if you watch kids, you know, in the sandbox, they can be there all day. And so I always tell my students, you need to do this, just like you need to do your breath work every day, maybe doing some of these movements that are really part of our our physiology from being homo sapiens. We just, we just need to kind of get back to that and instead of our, our chairs and our looking at our phones and how our necks are shaped and how our shoulders are shaped. And all this stuff is affected by how we breathe, eat, and how we move. Well, and you may or may not know this, but I spent over a decade dancing professionally in a ballet company. Mm. And breath in a tutu sure. is very difficult. So it's all up here. Yeah, which is a, a sympathetic driver, which causes you to, I mean, that is a bottom-up signal to the mind. So the, as, as your nervous system says, I'm breathing up here, it's going to respond by first creating a heart rate um, that's going to increase. It will also slow down or even stop your digestion. It will do a lot of things with your eyesight going from a nice dilated space to maybe really, you know, and then you'll also have some other things even with your reproductive organs. You'll have some other things happening within your body and you'll wonder, why am I so anxious? Oh, because I'm breathing out of my mouth and I'm breathing way up into my chest and this has become a normal thing. We, we, we have all these like tools now, right, to help us 
with sleep apnea. We have all these drugs and we have strips and we have all this stuff to help us breathe a little bit better. But really, it's a lot more simple than that. I mean, I hate to hate to bust anybody's bubble who's selling breathe right strips, but really, I mean, you can tape your mouth shut if you really wanted to and retrain. And it's something that I, with my clients, I teach. We have a lot of things that we've built up really because we're just so accustomed to it. It's easy. And I, I was told by my guru that transformation is really in discomfort. It's really like we have to experience a little bit of discomfort to find transformation. And in the breath worker world, we, we would sometimes refer to that as a hormetic stress, something that is, it's got a nice curve to it that makes us stronger, not of an acute, really long, or even a long-term stress. We just want to have this nice little curve that says, ooh, that was tough. And then here we're coming down the back end, just kind of like lifting weights, right? If you don't lift weights, you don't want to just sit there and lift and lift and lift and lift and lift. You'll never repair. But if we do the little things that cause us a little bit of discomfort, like CO2, holding it and, and allowing it to, to kind of build up, which, you know, we need that. We need that extra oxygen for hypoxia and we need the CO2 to build up so it can deliver the oxygen. Otherwise, all we're doing is we're in this alkaline state and the red blood cells don't let go of the oxygen molecules. So we're just really breathing for nothing. So it's really good to have the CO2 build up and allow that acidity to release that so we can use it in our muscles and build that hormetic curve. We just got to learn to breathe again. We have to go back to some basics and not get caught up necessarily in techniques, but learn a few things about how our nervous system responds to how we're breathing. There's a bunch of different philosophies, you know, there's the alternate nasal breathing, there's box breathing, there's, I mean, there's so much. How do you pick which breath work is the best for you? And, and I think that breath work can be used as a tool, especially in anxiety or nervousness or just people who are feeling fearful. And that's kind of common these days. It, this anxiety yeah. is pervasive. We are so, we are one notch below freaking out <laughs> for a yeah. lot of the day. Sometimes we are. And I think it's, well, I mean, we, we know that anxiety is really us forward thinking most of the time. We're worried about what could happen in the future. You know, Winston Churchill has one of his famous quotes where he said he had a conversation with a man on his deathbed. And the man told him that he had a lot of worries in his life. Most of which never happened. Never happened. I tell that to my kids. <laughs> and most of which never happened. And we spend a lot of time in that. And that's because we're programmed using our, we'll call it our caveman mind, whatever, our reptilian mind. I hate to call it that really. But, but basically going back into our species that evolved from where we had to really think about our surroundings, right? We had to worry about if we were going to be attacked because we were not the top end of the food chain. Problem is we haven't evolved from that. So we think about what could happen and we utilize our nervous system to help us regulate that. Our hippocampus and our hypothalamus, they regulate our emotions and our chemicals and our nervous system talks to that. These are signals that our body is speaking to us to help us survive. Like we just said, we have to, our unconscious helps us survive. What we're learning now is we can influence the autonomic nervous system and that anxiety, not only is it us forward thinking, but also, this is us not being in a, in a hormesis. We're, the primary chemical for anxiety, one of, one of them, 
noradrenaline, right? So when we breathe balanced, we tend to inhibit the release of that. It, it inhibits that, that chemical response that says, I'm so anxious. And of course, there's some, a lot of other training that can go along that where we're not our feelings, we're just experiencing them, right? Where we're saying, I'm feeling anxious, not I am anxious, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and moving away from identifying with our emotional state as who we are. That's a temporary thing. It's like that next moment. Here's the next moment. Oh, there's another one. And each moment is different. When we can get away from identifying that we are the chemicals that are within us, we become our own alchemist. We say, I can control this. And we do that a lot of which through breath work and of course, some, some mind training with meditation and, and others, but all, all great tools. The physiology and anatomy of it is really cool. You know, the, the diaphragm is, is that major muscle of breathing. People mm-hmm. forget that, you know, it doesn't just happen. There's, there is a, a muscle and the vagus nerve is attached to the system that can release all kinds of peaceful hormones and chemicals that rejuvenate, connect, relax. Um, the entire system can be turned on chemically through proper breath. And it's surprising we don't use breath in the hospitals. It's so easy not in the moment, but if somebody was coaching you, like if they can do it in labor, <laughs> you mm-hmm. should be able to do it anytime if someone is there to help coach you so that it's a well-used tool. Those who are wanting to know more about breath work, at least in the initial stages, now we're getting into more of a therapeutic aspect, but it was really like athletes, how can I have more stamina? How can I go in higher elevations and, and, and be able to function in the way that I do at lower elevations? And so really, in my opinion, athletes are kind of what spurred this a little bit. Like mm-hmm. I want better and higher performance. And then we're realizing, okay, I actually feel better. Okay, now let's get this into a therapeutic aspect. How can I feel better when I'm usually always anxious? Well, let's help you sleep a little better. Mm, let's help you rise with momentum. Let's When we get up in the morning, let's start the day not with a coffee that's going to create a crash, but let's start it with our own endogenous chemicals that say, here's some adrenaline. Let's get going. Let's get some dopamines going and let's feel good today. And then I incorporate that with a lot of other practices, but let's get going. And then when I want to eat, breath work just before I eat because I can now digest better. Problem is we've kind of evolved into this hurry, hurry, fast paced civilization where we, we have what's called a lunch break, right? So we have lunch breaks and you have maybe for, for many, you have an hour usually, run out, get in your little tin box, right? your car, your tin box going 50 miles an hour with other tin boxes going 50 miles an hour to get to a place where you can hurry and get some food that might have some nutrition. Hopefully it does, but might have some nutrition. And then you hurry up to get back to work because you got to get back within that hour, right? And really we haven't taken any time to prepare to receive that food. We've mm-hmm. just sort of like hunk and then we wonder why we have digestive issues and it's a, you know, it's a big, well, we'll call it an epidemic a little bit because there's so many, if you go into any kind of drugstore, you'll find all kinds of medications that help with indigestion. Yeah. And it's because yeah. it's how we're eating. We're not actually taking time to just simply stop. I, I was actually, I taught a retreat this weekend and the caterers, wonderful caterers, before each meal, they had us do something. And it's, it's very indicative of 
very ancient yogic um, traditions. And But all they had us do, instead of saying om over our food, we said yum three times. Okay, so think about that. The breath is in. Yum. And then you let it out for about a five count. And so here we are creating a breath work that is us appreciating our food, first of all, and also creating this parasympathetic uh, response within the body to digest better. Oh, I love it. Hey, I wonder if there is some aspect of breathing and staying about praying before you have your meal. I mean, it would seem to me that any time you take time to pause and say to your body, hey, lunch is coming. Yeah. <laughs> Get ready. Can you, and you're smelling it, right? Which starts right. the salivary glands, which has the digestive enzymes in it. So I bet you there are many different cultures that have built in ways that we've kind of just ditched. We don't even sit down to eat. Yeah, we're not even sitting down. And that's one of those um, sympathetic reactions that happen is if you're in a, in a fight or flight response, you're not salivating. You're, your body's not worried about that. So here you are not even digesting it. And James Nestor in his book talks a lot about that with how we've started to process our food and how it's changed our palate, even shrunk it. And that's why we have not straight teeth anymore and our jaw lines have changed and how our faces have changed over time and really interesting book but it's because we've become so fast paced and mm. we have to go 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 but if we just take a little bit of time to just slow down a little bit i don't know that we're going to undo thousands of years of <laughs> but but i think that we we can find that us personally will function better and feel healthier for me, I, I mean, I mostly a plant-based diet, which I know that's not a traditional, um, you know, with evolution, not, you know, I think over time we've, we've tenderized our meat and we've cooked it and whatever. But for me, as long as I'm taking time with it and appreciating it and making sure that I'm in a sympathetic or parasympathetic state when I eat, I just digest really well. I would hope that for most people that we could just slow down just a little bit, just try it. Just try to slow down just a little bit and see what happens. So we got our first challenge. Yeah, just slow down. Three yums Mm -hmm. or prayer with some big breaths before you eat, sitting down, a minimum of one meal a day. So when you're doing this breath, if it's not the yum, what, Mm -hmm. I'm sorry, I'm asking so many questions because I'm like that detail person. So is it in through the nose and out through the mouth? Mm. Um, I know there's a million different things, but let's talk about if we want to chillax. What's the best way to do that? Well, breathing in through the mouth is never really meant to be a primary breath way. Let's just let's just eliminate that immediately. It's not really meant to that. There's no filter. There's there's nothing there. It's just down into the body. So we want to use our nasal breath way as much as you can for an inhale. There's lots of reasons. The turbinates that are in there are going to clean, filter, moisturize. Lots of reasons to breathe in through your nose. It's also going to slow and maybe even change the temperature depending on your environment. Also, the nose is known to be a really a primary manufacturer of NO2 or nitric oxide. So we want to do that. If those who the listeners don't know, nitric oxide is really one of the, the gases that we need in the gas exchange within the body. And it creates a vasodilation and a bronchodilation. So as we're breathing in this way, through our nose, we're introducing NO2. We're introducing O2 into the gas exchange for cellular respiration. So we bring it into our body 
And the NO2 allows the, the bronchi to expand, lets the, the veins expand so they can deliver that oxygen that we're bringing in. And if we're bringing, bringing in a diaphragmatic breath, we're also breathing down quite low into the lower lobes of the lungs, which if we understand gravity correctly, that's where most of the blood is gonna be, right? It's gonna be down here in the lower lobes. And if you look at a, the branches of the, of the lungs, there's a lot of them down there, where up at the top, there's not so much, not as many. We'll just say not as many. So we wanna try to breathe down into there, allow that dilation to happen so that we're getting an optimum cellular respiration uh, for energy. You know, as we bring it, the the those gases into the to the cells, we're influencing the the production of energy ATP. We're in, influencing down down to a DNA level. We're we're really influencing our own evolution. We're saying, ah, here I am, breathing again, very deliberately, and maybe even changing some patterns just by thinking about how we breathe occasionally. So like, as I talk to you here, now that listeners are gonna know this and you're gonna know this, but I have to stop. I stop for a few minutes and go, nice nasal breath, because we're speaking through our mouth. And if I don't, I'm gonna go into a sympathetic or a fight or flight mode unconsciously just because I'm speaking a lot. So the inhales through the nose? Yes, Lots inhales through the nose. Is it. And then the exhale? Well, that's kind of where it comes down to technique. And I don't want the listeners to become technique collectors, but simply if you're doing a more of a superventilative breath, one that is trying to influence activation within the nervous system, you're bringing in more oxygen and, and then you're starting to balance it with a breath hold or retention time, the, the, the paths get crossed and you may want to use your mouth for the exhale usually. However, when I'm teaching a, a parasympathetic breath, or we sometimes call it either the box breathing, or I call them a bottom triangle breath, where we're having like a five, seven, eight breath, five counts in, seven counts out, eight count hold at the bottom, and then you can influence that pyramid however you want. I encourage my clients to breathe just through the nasal breath wave, because not only for the NO2, but we're also building that muscle that has probably been neglected and shrunk our palate. Our palate has changed, and, and this is one of the primary causes of why people snore and have sleep apnea. This is the cause of like why our teeth are kind of, we're going to, you know, orthodontists now, no offense to orthodontists, but they're not, they're not breath workers. So they're just fixing teeth. They're not saying, hey, if you breathe differently, your teeth would be fixed. Dentists and orthodontists are not thinking that. They're thinking, how can I fix your teeth? And they even have to have like palate expanders a lot of the time when the kids start, yeah. before yeah. they start. And no one's teaching, you know, that that world that, hey, if you just did a little bit of respiratory therapy, that might actually not be the problem in the beginning. I mean, I, I, I've experienced this in my own life. As a kid, my teeth were all kinds of messed up. And I actually had to have two teeth pulled so that my braces would move the teeth so they would be straight. So I kind of, have a, straight, I kind of have a straight smile now. But now I have two fake teeth. They're not my own because we moved everything out to make everything straight. Interesting, right? And most of us will have our like wisdom teeth removed, right? Because we don't have enough room in our mouth. But do you think that we were created on purpose with not enough room in our mouth? I don't believe that. I think that we have well, just not even like seventy years ago did yeah. did they even have that? You know, like in our parents and grandparents' lifetime. No, and I think it's just because it's like there's a disconnect between doctors, dentists, respiratory therapy breath workers, there's just, there's a disconnect that's there. That's mm -hmm. not saying, Hey, we can change this. We can change this. 
and there's just a disconnect. So to answer your question, mostly through the nose, mostly through the nasal breathway as a mm. primary breathway. This mm. will train you to also do that at nighttime as you're sleeping. Mm. If you're having a hard time with that and you're waking up with a dry mouth and you're snoring, your partner tells you you're snoring, tape your mouth shut. It is okay. I still do that just to try it. Um, I don't have that as an issue anymore, but, but you can put a piece of, just a small piece of tape there. It's not to close your mouth off. It's to remind you to breathe through your nose. It's just well, a reminder. Interesting. I just tried this. Like mm-hmm. I literally argued in my own head about <laughs> this. I'm like, no, this is not going to be getting, I don't, I don't snore. I don't breathe through my mouth. I'm fine. And then I was like, so what is the downside of taping my mouth to see how it affects my sleep? See how I feel like yeah. who cares? And it was profound. And my HRV testing changed significantly. So I've been recommending it to some patients, especially patients that have higher blood pressure, because, you know, the nitric oxide will actually help lower blood pressure. And so can you imagine having this like all night long NO factory going, oh, my gosh, oh, I can't do that. I'll like suffocate. I can't, you know, I'm like, no, you won't. It's okay. Your body will not let you have a tiny little piece prevent you from breathing. I, I, I'm, I'm paraphrasing this, but it, you know, in, in James Nestor's book, he actually put silicone in his nose to see what it was like if you were only mouth breathing. So they filled his nose up with, with silicone and he, and he had imagined that within a few days, you know, his, his blood pressure would go up, that his heart rate would, he he imagined, but it was really within almost like five minutes where he was, he was, he was in a straight fight or flight mode and I'm not going to go into detail, but in the book he describes when they took it out, not, not the damage that he had done. It only have, I think it was a one week. I think it was seven days that he had that in there. But the damage that had been created just with the buildup behind the silicone and his heart rate, essentially he was just, he was a cardiac mess. And then he did the opposite where he closed off the mouth as he went to sleep and noticed the, the data points that said, this is how you change. And, you know, as, as therapists, as doctors, as scientists, we like data points. We like consistent data if you can. And... Um, I think this is pretty consistent. If you if you silicone your nose shut, you're going to have a higher blood pressure. You're, if you breathe through your mouth, you're going to have some issues sleeping. And we can really consistently replicate that. And I'm not saying that everyone has to. And you don't know how you sleep all night long. People you always don't. say to me, oh, I don't sleep with my mouth open. I'm like, yeah, I, I don't think that you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, we, we don't. And I think that most people will wake up and go, oh, my mouth's a little dry and not really think that that's, oh, because I'm breathing through my mouth. They just think that their mouth is dry. But how do you feel in the morning is what yeah. I'd say. How do you feel? Do you feel rested? Do you feel like you can consistently sleep through the night? I mean, there's a lot of data points with that too. It could be thought rumination and all kinds of other things and anxiety that are keeping you up. But for the most part, if we move into a parasympathetic style breath before bed, even Mm -hmm. if it's just four rounds of that bottom triangle that I told you. That was my next question. So four big, slow breaths. Yeah. I don't know where I really learned that four was the magic number. I just know that that's what works for me. Cause there are times Mm -hmm. just like, just like you, I have a dog and she sometimes will get up and shake and move or whatever, just like a dog's do and maybe wake you up. Well, when that happens, or maybe you have to get up to use the restroom, I get back in bed and I do four rounds 
of five counts in, seven counts out, eight counts hold, and then I move into a more balance. Sometimes it's just five in, five out, and then I increase that six in, six out, seven in, seven out, eight in, eight out. That reduces that, that noradrenaline and just brings you into this place of just peace. And mm. I'm asleep really, really quick. And I, I'll tell you that this is this can be replicated. It's not because I have like some superhuman DNA that I can control how I sleep. I just have learned to use the tools. Those are great techniques to calm down and relax, either when you're feeling anxious, before a test, before you yeah. speak, before you go to bed, before you eat. What about that morning that you were talking about? Mm. So... Morning is not my best time. <laughs> and I still, I wake up and I do, I go to bed early. I sleep well. I know this because I don't just believe it. I have data points, tape my mouth shut, feel mm -hmm. great. I do wake up, but oh my gosh, it literally for an hour, it's like I am in molasses. So you're looking for a uh, routine. Really, I think sounds like so for for me, I found that a routine that incorporates breath work gets the momentum going. Now, I have a lot of things and the listeners are going to be like, I can't do all that in the morning. There's no it's way. like meditation. I can't yeah. do that. <laughs> yeah. So I'm not going to I'm not going to say what my entire routine is because. Okay. Give a beginner's no, routine. Yeah. I'll give a beginner's You're routine. You're super advanced. Well, mine has just evolved over time, you know, like where I said, you know, I can incorporate this now. And especially now that I, I'm kind of more in charge of my schedule, right? I don't work a nine to five. I, I, I schedule my own clients and how I'm doing it. And so it's a little different. But for those who are on a, a nine to five schedule, the first thing you need to do is don't hit snooze. Don't hit snooze. Now that seems like, okay, well, but I like snooze. I like to go back to bed. Well, not only are we messing with our circadian rhythms when we do that, which is not good. Nine minutes or 10 minutes or whatever your snooze is, is really going to make you feel more sleepy when you wake up anyway. But that 10 minutes, within that 10 minutes, I do breath work in bed, okay? So I'll get up in the morning, if my alarm goes off, I don't use my phone because that's not another thing we don't want, the blue light. And um, most people, when they look at their phone, they'll look at their notifications and then they're all the way in their notifications while they're still in bed. Their momentum has already begun with a negative email, a text message they have to respond to. And they're already kind of in this, oh man, I got so much to do today. I'm so busy today. And we're already in like this mindset of being behind. So I like to create the mindset of, I'm accomplishing tasks. I'm, I'm in the momentum of the day, not letting the day move me. So as I wake up, my first thing to do is I do a gratitude practice. It's really, really simple. I name three things that I'm grateful for. I say what would make today really great, three things that would make today really great. And at the end of the day, I talk about what did make the day great. But the three things that I'm grateful for are three things that create um, would create a good day. Then I look at my dog, if she's really begging to go out, then maybe I let her go out. But if not, we do breath work in bed. I do, uh, I do usually do some super ventilative breaths, which are uh, more of a hypoxic feeling, more oxygen saturation, get moving, um, kind of get the adrenaline and cortisol going. That way that I can take in my retention times and then get the melatonin and serotonin going through the retention portion of that. So super ventilative breaths, and I incorporate some other stuff depending on what I need to do for that day. But mostly that's what I do. It's usually 10, 15 minutes. I also do ice baths every day. So that's also a piece of my, that's a, that's a piece of my day. 
Um, but it's, so back but, up. Hold on. Yeah. So what is a super ventilative breath? A super ventilative breath is us bringing an intentional breath, usually in through the nose, out through the mouth, and really not worrying so much about this, um, the exhale because I don't mind building up oxygen. In the 30 to 40 breaths, I'm building up oxygen within my body. And then as I go into a, a final exhale, I hold the breath from anywhere between one minute to five minutes, depending on my round that I'm on and, and how what I'm feeling that day. It's also an indicator of how I'm feeling. The primary indicator for you to want to breathe again is CO2 building. Toxic buildup. Yeah. We, yeah. we gotta get rid of this. Yeah. yeah people, so I have plenty of oxygen. They need to breathe in. They don't. They need to breathe out. <laughs> they need to breathe out. I'll tell you a story about that actually being in the airport. But but we need to breathe our body wants to breathe out because we have plenty of oxygen. If you normal humans breathe about 15 breaths a minute. Now if I'm doing 40 in that round, that means I have three times as much breath or oxygen, sorry, as I would normally. So I have plenty of oxygen. That molecule is saturated. And then as I let CO2 build up, that's really an indicator of how I'm feeling that day. And so as I let that build up, it creates that um, little bit of a balance. And then I take another breath at the end of that retention time called the recovery breath. Let the oxygen come in. Hold it for a few minutes, then go or a few seconds, and then go on to the next breath. So usually I do about four rounds of something like that, usually beginning with one minute retention and then ending with somewhere near, usually my day is about three. I'll do about a three minute retention on my fourth round. And that's my breath work in bed. Now, I also make my bed and I say a mantra as I make my bed. I do a couple other things that, that really create momentum rather than feeling behind, I'm really creating my day. And it just feels good. Like, I don't know if you do this, but I do. I cross things off my, my to-do list. And, and it's paper. Yep. I, just, <laughs> I love it. <laughs> and if I go to the grocery store and I wasn't planning to, I'd write it on my list just so I can cross it off because yeah. it feels good. It feels good. It feels good to do that. But I was going to tell you about breathing more. I was in the Denver airport hmm. and I was coming back from oh, Poland. First of all, Denver, way up there. Yeah, 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 I guess so. I guess I didn't really think about that part of it, but yeah. I mean, I live in Utah, so um, I live in, in a high area too. But I was in Denver and I was coming back from Poland. I was uh, uh, I was in Poland uh, training with uh, Wim Hof Method uh, group and we were, I was coming back and I was in the Denver airport and I hear this lady, I had a little bit of a layover and I heard this lady, oh no, oh no, ah, you know, don't close the door. The flight had already like closed the door, and one, you know, once that door is closed, they're not letting anybody in. And no. so she immediately started to go into what resembled a panic attack: mm. heavy breaths, <gasps> coughing, just having a really hard time. And now you know, in this day and age, if you're coughing in an airport, no one's going to want to be around you. <laughs> That's true. I didn't okay. even think that. <laughs> okay, so she's coughing. She's in full-on panic mode. And this was a bottom-up signal. She saw something and her brain said, you're in trouble now. Mm -hmm. And so she's sitting there panicking. And of course, the gate agent, she's not trained in breath work. She's not trained in how to help this. And she just said, you just need to sit down and breathe more. I'm in listening distance of this. And I'm like, ooh, she does not need to breathe more. She's breathing so much oxygen right now. She needs to release this CO2. She mm -hmm. has to breathe. She has to exhale more. And so... After about a minute or two of this going on for her, them telling her to, to breathe more, I just went over and go, hey, I, 
I teach breath work. I'd like to help her if you, if you don't mind. And she, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So all I did is have her hum really simple. So if you, if people are feeling this, all I had her do is she's, <gasps> I just said hum now. Mm-hmm. Hum as much as she could hum out the exhales, which mm-hmm. allowed the CO2 to be released thus reducing her panic attack to a manageable level. Oh, I love it. The hum method. Well, I haven't named it yet, but that's really all it is. It's just a matter of saying, hey, let's let's exhale more. And I think that's part of the problem is, you know, now we're having this renaissance of breath work, but a lot of people don't know that. They know from panic attack, oh, breathe into a bag, right? Like, that's, is that really what we need to do? Well, you know what? The, the physiology <laughs> of that, I mean, that's not the best way, yeah. but if you think about it, it's capturing all the CO2. So you're actually breathing less oxygen as you're breathing this reused paper bag. So it's kind of doing this same thing, but it kind of is disturbing to see the bag go, oh, it's crashing, crashing, crashing. Yeah, yeah, it creates a lot of of chaos around you that you really, I mean, you know this from, from with psychedelic integration is like, it's all about the set and setting for how someone may feel. Like you can have a whole lot going on. And, but really if you create a setting where they feel calm, they're going to be calm and, you know, and have a better experience. And so even removing her from the gate where she missed her flight and just turning her away and looking, you know, out at the, at the mountains created a set and setting that felt better than right. seeing her flight pull away and she wasn't on it. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah. Okay, so I don't really want to talk about this, but we, we <laughs> mentioned it. So, <laughs> so in my world, hell is not hot. Hell is cold. Mm. I hate being cold. There's mm-hmm. nothing that I despise more. And so you start your day on purpose with an ice bath. Tell I me do. about that. I've heard, I, I mean, I'm a researcher, right? I, I'm a doctor. I, I know the inflammatory properties of it, but I just cannot imagine why would I want to do this? There has to be a different way. It's so yucky. Well, let's go back to what I said earlier about transformation is in the discomfort. And really, it's never going to be easy. I don't look at an ice bath and go, oh, this is going to be so easy today. I don't do that. (laughs) Okay, I don't do that. I actually, sometimes I'll sit there and look at the ice bath and go, oh, but it's, it's what do we want to feel like later? So not only is the ice bath anti-inflammatory, but I'm entering the ice bath in a calm state of mind. I'm not trying to run in and run out. Do you breath first? I usually do breath first okay. and then I move into it in a very calm state of mind. So for me, there's a couple different reasons why I do it. One, ultimate grounding. You are not thinking about your future or your past. You're only thinking about the here and now. When you're sitting in an ice bath, you go, I'm right here and you're in your breath. It's a different kind of breath, but you're you're moving into a, you're trying to go to a very slow breath because your adrenals are pumping at, at adrenaline. Cortisol is going crazy, and then here you are in the mix of all your alchemy, breathing slowly, and you're grounded. No other place have I found where I can be totally present mm. for a couple minutes. Now, starting, okay, I take that was my question. Yeah, two minutes. That's that's the where I start people out. I mean, my ice baths are uh, quite a bit longer, but but that's where I start people out when I coach them. Yeah, so it's two yeah. minutes. So I walked into the, our Pacific Ocean on January first, and mm. I think that. 
I was in it for three and a half seconds. Mm. <laughs> it was so bad. Well, I'll come up there and coach you and we'll figure out, figure that out. But, but we'll really, record it and if I can do it, anybody can. <laughs> well, part of the process is not just that. I mean, for me, the groundedness, it's a meditation for me. Um, it's training for me. It's also, uh, you know, the inner anti-inflammatory. I teach a lot of yoga, so it really feels good to, to really um, have that for my joints and my body. But also, there's two other layers that I really like to talk about. One of is the brown fats that get produced, um, which really help with our metabolism and, and, and through our um, lymphatic system. There's a lot that, that we want to build there, which we don't, you know, really build a lot. We don't train our lymphatic system in any way, most of us. Some people do tapping and stuff, but... This is going to build that. But also with doing this in that release of adrenaline and cortisol, we're also releasing some anti-inflammatory proteins that do some really special work. So specifically IL-10 is a, is a major one. Interleukin-10 is a, is a major one. There's IL-6 and IL-8. But interleukin-10 primarily will inhibit the inflammation within the cell. If there's a, let's say there's an invader, okay, a virus or a bacteria, our body immediately responds with inflammation to fight it off. So we get fever, we get diarrhea, we get sick, whatever. All these things happen. And with this activation, the body basically just begins to work without the inflammation. So we start to go, oh, I can fight that off and I don't get scared about it. It's basically like, I got this, bro. I got this. and I'm going to take care of it rather than us going, oh, no, let's fight. It's just saying, I got this. It's, a, it's like building confidence in the plasma and in the blood. It's just saying, I got this. And for that reason, I haven't gotten sick. I actually, when I, when I was coming back from a trip, have you, maybe some of the listeners have heard of this. It's something called COVID. Anybody heard of that? Uh, <laughs> right? So I was, I was traveling and we had to leave. And the, when you travel overseas, you have to get tested, right? You have to get tested to come back in the United States. And so you get tested. And I had tested negative when I left Prague. And I got, I tested in Germany tested negative. Uh, I was on a long flight, came back, and I actually tested positive when I came back. But the thing is, I never had any symptoms because I, there was zero inflammation. So I never had any symptoms of that bacteria, that virus, nothing in me. And I heard about this through my training with Wim Hof Method, you know, where they injected him with a E. coli endotoxin and everybody got sick. But, you know, the, those who were part of the group who trained didn't because they inhibited the inflammation that makes you feel sick. Even though you may be a carrier, you don't get sick and you just fight it off. So essentially, we're strengthening our immune system. And for me, that COVID invader that came in lasted about 12 hours. It came in, I tested positive. That night I had an at-home test, tested positive, went back to the lab the next day and it was gone. It was that quick. It was just like, oh yeah, I got you. We got this. And it's really creating a confidence by getting into the cold. It's not easy, but the thing is, you don't have to do it every day. Really, the benefits of that anti-inflammatory protein last about six days. About six oh, days. good. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so the breath work that we want to go to get for alkalinity and everything, you have to do that every day. But the, but the ice bath, you could do every week and still have the benefits of getting into the ice bath, even if it's just two minutes. Because what we're really trying to do is go from a fight or flight state calming it down while you're in the middle of it all. Move into melatonin and relax into it. And not only is it building your willpower, because a, a lot of our healing is in our mind. I can do this. 
I, I can make changes. I can be stronger. I can change patterns. And this is all our neuroplasticity, right? So it's just making changes that say, I can do hard things. And I got this. I bought both of my daughters a plaque at Christmas that says, you can do hard things. Yeah. 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 I think that uh, it's easier to do hard things with people like you helping <laughs> us learn how. Maybe. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, we were going to talk about psychedelics and ketamine and breath, and I really want to do that, but we are coming up on our time. Yeah. So would it be okay if we uh, scheduled you for another session so yeah. we can talk about how breathwork and ketamine are uh, wonderful buddies and can create some pretty magical transformations in what you have seen in the workshops you've done. I would love to because it's it's really what we, we were kind of leading up to it there is it's, it has a lot to do with the endogenous chemicals within our body prepping us for the psychedelic experience and almost moving us into a cardiac coherence rather than our, our neocortex and the brainstem. It's really taking us into the heart and into our DNA. Um, and that's the, the breath that I teach, how it um, works with uh, psychedelics, it takes us quite deep. And it's just a matter of doing a few minutes, 15 minutes of breath work before a psychedelic assisted therapy session. And well, and you and I were talking about having a workshop in Seattle yeah. and uh, having a have breath workshop and and then have the options for um other things as people are evaluated and and see if they're good candidates etc yeah, stay to. tuned ryan and i will connect about yeah. a date where we can invite all of you to come to seattle for a transformative breathwork workshop with him yes well thank you so much i end every single podcast by asking my guests to share one of two things one is either something that is something you've learned that would bless someone's life. It doesn't have to be about our topic mm -hmm. or your favorite book, which often is something that blesses people's lives. <laughs> well, you know, one of my favorite teachers, um, and I, I, I quote him often, is uh, Ram Dass. And Ram Dass has made a significant um, impact in my life, not only in the world of psychedelics, and his work with LSD and even with psilocybin, but also just being spiritual and, and, and kind of connecting to something beyond us, whatever that is. And it kind of brought me into really learning about spirituality again. I, I grew up in a, in a very Christian household and it, I had the script, so I kind of stopped being spiritual anymore. And then by, by listening to Ram Dass, I learned more about how my spirit affects everything and how I can interact and share spirit and share that space, learning about my subconscious. And one of Ram Dass's, uh quotes that I'll, that I'll share, and it really makes me think when I have these feelings and of emotions, you know, anger or frustration or anything that has to do with relating to another human. One of his, his quotes is that we're all just walking each other home. And for me, I think of home as a place that's safe. For me, I think of home as a place where I can relax. I, when I think of home, I think of it as a sanctuary. And if we really look at each other as we're walking each other home, not as our personalities, like I'm a man, you're a woman, this is my job, this is your job, this is who we think we are. When I really just say, here I am, I'm a soul, you're a soul. 
and we're just walking each other home on this really crazy journey in our, in our incarnation of our bodies. We don't have the script to know what it means to be human, but let's walk each other home and figure it out together. Oh, that's beautiful. And everybody can interpret that the way that is most meaningful for them. You know, home is also a place that people call heaven, or it can be a place where they literally just can only manage that day. And so just walk home that day with each other. Thank you so, so much for an amazing, informative, almost hour together, my goodness. I really appreciate you. Thanks, Debbie. Thank you so much for joining us on our podcast today. I hope that some of the information helps you become the CEO of your own health. Remember, health can be contagious, so be sure to pass this on to those that you love and make sure that you subscribe so you're right on track to hear more amazing information to help you thrive. Have a beautiful day.